We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Yes, welcome to Kilkenny Today here on Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. And I'm here with you for the next hour and a packed show, as we always do on uh, Kilkenny Today. And if you just tuned in, you're tuned in to Anne Nolan uh, on the show today. And uh, like I said, a packed show later on, I have Sam Matthews, and he is our regular contributor, and he's the editor of the Kilkenny People newspaper. And this is week number three of our regular slot between the Kilkenny People newspaper and ourselves here at Community Radio Kilkenny City. And uh, earlier on as well today, I spoke to the communications manager of the Road Safety Authority, Brian Farrell, and uh, we were speaking about how one in four people killed in 2020 were not wearing seatbelts. So stark, stark uh, findings there. And uh, also uh, have... Michelle Murphy and uh, my colleague uh, Morris O'Connor he spoke to Michelle Murphy who is a research and coordinator with Social Justice Ireland and uh, they spoke about the research from the UK uh, what, which is called poverty uh, provision pro- 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 apologies now uh, poverty premium and that is uh, later or earlier on and they spoke earlier on about that uh, if you want to get in contact with the show please do so on the phones on 086 353 and the landline 056-77-627-77 but I'm going to air that interview now where Michelle Murphy is speaking to uh, Morris O'Connor and Michelle is from uh, Social Justice Ireland. Uh, Michelle Murphy, a research and policy analyst with Social Justice Ireland. Um, thanks for joining us. There was a report, Michelle, I think it actually came from the UK rather than from Ireland, uh, from UK charities commissioned it, that wanted to highlight uh, what's called the uh, poverty premium um, so you might, you might start just by telling us what, what is defined, what does the poverty premium actually mean and what's the report that the UK charity is doing, what is, what is it saying? Well, the poverty premium, Morris, it's, the, it's defined as the extra costs that low-income households face when paying for the same goods or services of, or amenities as higher-income or wealthier households. So this report was published in the UK and it found that for 2020 that low-income or poorer households paid a poverty premium of an extra £478 a year. So what that really points to is that they those households paid higher costs in relation to energy, so things like your gas bill, your electricity bill, insurances, so house insurance, car insurance, home content insurance, the cost of accessing money, so access to credit, um, and loans, and then the higher costs of credit associated with low-income households, because they've less disposable income, but also because they're, you know, the, the lines of credit that they have access to um, are more limited than those of higher-income households. And um, so, I suppose there's a lesson there for, uh, you know, for Ireland in particular that, uh, you know. 
there's no at reason to believe support. that it's any different, is it, in Ireland? I'm sure the same things apply gas and Oh, yeah, it w- it, there's no reason to believe credit. it's any different here. And, you know, there's a couple of previous reports by MABS and by TASC looking at things like access to um, credit, for example, and also looking at energy poverty, fuel poverty. And, the you know, the report on fuel poverty just looked at two different communities in Dublin, one more affluent, one less affluent. And, you know, the... The difference was, on average, uh, poorer, the poorer community, people in that community spent an extra, an average, 50 euros a week on sort of energy, so fuel and light. But um, for the more affluent community, um, it was 38 euros a week. So, mm. you know, that, that's mm. a poverty premium there on a weekly yeah, basis. Yeah, pro- probably reflects the standard of accommodation they're living in, which... It, yes, it, because, yeah, you know, those houses are less... Energy, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're less likely to be um, have a high energy rating. They're not well insulated. They're not retrofitted, and so yeah, it reflects the you know the state of the accommodation, and also probably the um, the suppliers that they have access to, um, because you know what what it does show is that what the UK report showed that if you don't switch suppliers, then you lose out on savings, but. In order to consistently switch, you know, your gas or electricity supplier or your your home or your car insurance or, um, you know, your credit, for example, people often say to you, also, you should switch your mortgage provider and, you know, get a better rate, your credit card provider, all of those kind of things. But that requires time. It requires the capacity to do it. It requires digital literacy, but it also requires, and I think people forget this, it requires access to a bank account that will allow you to do all of that. It requires that you're engaged in online banking, that you want debits coming out of your account, is that you're happy to have debits coming out of your account, whereas uh, a recent, well, it was a number of years ago now, but it so that Ireland had the highest income of banking exclusion in the European Union 15, which meant that, you know, poor households were less likely to have a bank account or a bank account which allowed you to do all of the things that wealthier households would. So, for example, they might have a credit union account, for example, but they wouldn't, you know, their incomes were so low that they wouldn't have a, you know, a bank account to allow them to do the online banking, the transfers, etc and we do have a basic payments account now but you know the reality is if you're on a fixed income so for example if you're on a um, a state pension or an unemployment payment or a disability payment you are far less likely to want debits going out of your account on a monthly basis because you need to manage your money and manage any additional costs so if you encounter an additional cost you know in one month you want to be able to go to the post office or to the shop and either pay what you can off your bill or pay the bill in full. But you do that on a on a monthly basis and these people have to plan on a monthly basis. So, you know, they, they don't, by its by nature, they don't want debits coming out of their accounts then that they won't be sure at the end of every month how much money they're going to have left in their account. They simply don't have the luxury. Yeah, I think I think it's like forcing, nearly forcing people into the situation of having to manage kind of hand to mouth really on a month by month basis is nearly exacerbating the problem. Another aspect of things that occurs to me is I think one that you report you mentioned from um, uh, MABS or, or Task uh, was saying that like that you, 
spending on fuel, um, which is a big message. It's, it's not just a higher amount of, um, higher proportion of their income, which possibly might be understandable by just two numbers, but it's a higher absolute amount, which is doubly difficult, I suppose, for people on, on lower income levels. Absolutely. Um, it's very difficult for them to manage in absolute terms and in relative terms. They, the cost to them is more. And I mean, it's just to reiterate the point, when you are on a fixed income, a weekly fixed income, and the only opportunity for your income to change is in the annual budget where government can decide whether or not to increase social welfare rates, you have absolutely no room for manoeuvre. So if you face any additional cost, you need to reduce another cost in order you know to to balance your payments or else you're going to find yourself in credit difficulties and i i think you know suppliers just assume that people are digitally literate uh financially literate and that they have you know that cushion of income that will allow them you know to to both switch and you know that you can have uh, a number of debits going out of your account every month, but you have that cushion of income to know that you're never going to fall below a certain amount. And, you know, these people in these communities don't. And, you know, it's an issue that's that's often ignored. And I think perhaps it might, you know, it might come to the fore more now. You know, there are increased costs because of Brexit, because of COVID, just in, even in terms of uh, homeschooling and all of a sudden having to print uh, the work for your child. So you have to pay for ink for your printer if you're lucky enough to have a printer. You know, the broadband costs that these households probably wouldn't have had you know, face before you need you need a device other than a phone if you have a child at home and has to engage in online and learning. One, one, one device per child if you have several children mm-hmm. at home, which a lot of families would have as well, making it even more difficult. Absolutely, and I suppose it's an issue we would like to see some progress on because um, all all it is it's an additional cost to these to these families mm-hmm. every year through no fault of their own just because they're in a lower income background. Is there part of the problem around this, Michelle, you probably know a lot more about it than I do, but just thinking about it, um, that really the, the, kind of the, the way the whole social welfare, social protection system is structured is it makes it impossible or very difficult to, um, to get out of that poverty trap or poverty premium by not being able to maybe easily combine um, partial work or partial income to build to have a kind of combined income of some social protection payments and some um, paid employment income yes I mean it, that's certainly an issue uh, the tapering issue hasn't been addressed because generally there's quite a big jump particularly if it's a household with children you know if you begin to engage if you engage in part-time employment or even full-time employment you know the the point at which you lose all your other benefits the threshold is set it's quite low but then if a you know a family has to take into account all the other benefits you know if it's a medical card for example you know that that's a huge to lose that and then if you had to pay then for uh for example prescriptions gp visits all of that and i know there's a gp card for children like that can make a huge impact on families and also you know you lose that almost overnight so i do think there's certainly a case to be made for reforming our our social protection system to to support people back into the labor market and to allow 
that balance between, you know, your earned income and still getting uh, some form of support from the social yeah. protection system. And do, do you know, is there likely, or is there any on work ongoing at the moment to do what they did in the UK and, and really quantify the, the total amount of that um, poverty premium just to enable a spotlight to be put no, on there it hasn't uh, been in, in a stronger way? any work undertaken uh, here and I, I'm not aware of any work ongoing now. The St. Vincent de Paul um, commissioned a study last year which showed that the estimated the cost of poverty to the state itself, you know, in terms of the cost of uh, poorer health, less access to the labour market, all of those kind of things. A, a, a conservative estimate of that was about 4.5 billion euros per annum. So that's what the cost of poverty to the state is and I, you could probably do a lot better with that 4.5 billion euro than have what is it uh, 637,000 people living on an income below the poverty line in terms of the premium the work hasn't been done here yet I imagine it would probably reflect quite closely uh, the situation uh, that the report from the UK found because you've a lot of the same providers here and if you look at that Oireachtas committee um work last year which found that there was people were penalized for sticking with the same insurance providers energy providers so it was the opposite you were penalized for not switching and you were actually paying a premium for being a loyal customer and so i mean that obviously reflects will will be reflected in any sort of um economic impact of the cost here so i imagine it's the same and you know there's a significant amount of money on an annual basis uh, that you know additional money that you're you're forced to pay simply as a result of being in a, a lower income household or you know if you're on a state pension for example you're less likely to be online you're less likely to engage in online banking we've poor levels of digital literacy and financial literacy anyway and you know older people and rightly so, are you know are less likely to engage in that online switching and sort of online banking, direct debit, um, um, online payments, and even the fact that if a lot of the times if you switch provider, um, they don't want to send you an actual bill. And in order for you to um, qualify for whatever discount they're offering, you have to accept uh, electronic bills only, no more physical bills, which means you need an email address. Um, yeah. And all these other kinds of things come into play. And then, of course, I think it's probably the case that, um, you know, it's one of the, the offerings that all these providers, whether they're energy or telecom phones or whatever else, they all put out these uh, like pay-as-you-go type options. I'm, I'm sure they're more expensive uh, per unit of whatever service you're receiving for them, whether it's energy or communications. They're more expensive than um, paying by, uh, by monthly or whatever it is, bills. Yes, they are more expensive, particularly in terms of the energy and the telecoms, but particularly in terms of energy um, and, you know, a lot of the thing is if uh, and a study was done, um, it was also by SVP looking at in terms of energy costs and those cards. So you could get a um, an electricity box into your home and you prepay the card. But the premium on that was significantly higher than just paying your bill on a monthly basis. But it was sold to families and to people as a way of managing their money. But it was actually costing them a lot more for their gas or electricity than it would have if they had just, um, you know, engaged in just having a, a monthly bill. And it's the same with the cost of telecoms. You know, there are pay-as-you-go elements which 
you know, on the base of it seem, you know, quite reasonable. But I suppose at the end of the 28 period, you lose any of the money that you gave them in the previous period. And depending on your phone usage, you probably may not have engaged enough usage to, you know, justify the amount of money that you paid. So, you know, you do end up losing out um, and you also end up losing out in terms of the credit that you can access for those low income households is generally higher interest rates, um, particularly if they're, you know, forced to go to. I suppose um, if they can't get credit from the credit union or a bank, it's usually door-to-door lenders or the payday loans where the, the actual interest on those is astronomical. And so you're continually in a cycle of debt. And then relative to the absolute amount of income, disposable income you have, the real amount that you're paying back is you know, significantly higher than higher income households because they, they've access to more products. It's all, all very complicated. I think most of us would struggle with understanding the terms and conditions from any individual provider, let alone a whole heap of them that all roll into one's um, normal household costs. But maybe the, the better way to tackle all of this area is is by focusing on uh, basic income as a start. And I, I presume that's something that Social Justice Ireland will be continuing to engage with. Um, we'll have you back to talk about that again uh, some other time, Michelle, one of yourself or one of your colleagues. But in the meantime, thanks a million for joining us here in Community Radio Kilkenny City. Thank you, Morris. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. How to safely wear a face covering. Wash your hands well with soap and water before putting it on. Without touching the front, put it on so that it covers your nose and mouth. It should go right over your nose and the bottom of your chin. Hook or tie the covering straps so that it fits closely and well to your face. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth at all times. Take the covering off from behind. Store it in a plastic bag until it can be washed. Once it is off, wash your hands well with soap and water. This is very important. Wash your covering regularly with normal detergent in a normal wash. Don't forget, A face covering may help prevent people who do not know they have the virus from spreading it to others. It is not a replacement for washing your hands or keeping the two meter distance. Yes, and you are tuned to Kilkenny Today here on Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM with myself and Nolan. And I'm here with you for uh, the next uh, couple of minutes or the next half an hour. And earlier, uh, before the ad break there, I aired an interview where my colleague, Morris O'Connor, he spoke to the research and policy analyst uh, with Social Justice Ireland, and that was Michelle Murphy. And they were there speaking about the poverty premiums and uh, what um, poverty premiums are and how people are affected by it. And that is a really, it was a really, really interesting uh, interview and lots and lots of useful tips there and uh, lots of good analysis there done uh, as part of that. Um, but earlier on today, I spoke to Brian Farrell and Brian is the communications manager with the Road Safety Authority and we spoke about how one in four people killed in 2020 were not wearing seatbelts 
and this came to us as a press release and part of that press release was a uh, a soundbite from Sam Wade and Sam Wade is the CEO of the Road Safety Authority so it will start with that little soundbite from Sam Wade and then the interview from myself and Brian Farrell from the Road Safety Authority and it will finish with the Assistant Commissioner Paula Hillman and a little soundbite statement from her as well. So this is from earlier on today. Wearing a seatbelt can reduce the severity of injuries if you are involved in a collision. In fact, wearing a seatbelt reduces the risk of death amongst drivers and front seat passengers by half, and the risk of death and serious injuries amongst rear seat occupants by a quarter. For most people, putting on their seatbelt has become second nature. But as we can see from our analysis of casualties in 2020, there's still a percentage who don't. These deaths could have been prevented if drivers and passengers had been wearing a seatbelt. I'm asking drivers to make sure they and any passengers in their car are wearing a seatbelt before starting a journey. Our message from Mangarda Shikona is clear. Seatbelts save lives. Too often, our Gardaí arrive at scenes of road traffic collisions and witness firsthand the devastating injuries sustained by drivers and passengers because they were not wearing a seatbelt. All drivers and adult passengers in a vehicle are required by law to wear a seatbelt. Drivers are responsible for ensuring any passengers under 17 are appropriately restrained. As a driver, if you do not use a seatbelt, you yourself risk a fine and three penalty points which remain on your licence for three years. Passengers over 17 can be fined 60 euros for not wearing a seatbelt. Despite the impact of COVID-19 restrictions and traffic volumes, between November 2019 and November 2020, we issued 8,770 fixed charge notices for seatbelt offences. Seatbelt compliance will be one of our priority lifesaver enforcement areas for 2021 because our message is really clear. Seatbelts save lives. I'm delighted to be joined on the phone by Sam Matthews, who is the editor of the Kilkenny People newspaper. And this is week three of our regular slot between the Kilkenny newspaper and Community Radio Kilkenny City. And Sam is on again today to give us a little bit of an insight into what's happening in the paper this week. So welcome to the show, Sam. Hi, Anne. How are you? Good, and yourself? Good, good today, thanks. That's good. Very, very busy paper again this week, and nothing out of the ordinary there. Uh, page one, uh, we're going to start with, and this is in relation to the checkpoints and that are being conducted across the county, and how Gardaí are still appealing to people to stay at home and only travel where necessary. Yeah, um, as you say, uh, another another busy paper. There's lots going on, um, even in, in spite of kind of of lockdown and that. There's lots to kind of talk about. Um, and as you say, the um, the lead story is about guarded checkpoints and fines handed out. And you know, we've had numerous um, incidents across the district. Now, I should say, the superintendent has said that Kilkenny has been quite, by and large, uh, compliant and very compliant. Um, I think we're we're probably one of the better areas, but there have been a number of um, transgressors, I suppose, um, stopped at checkpoints outside the 5K um, with no valid reason. 
um, or just in places where they shouldn't be. Um, we had one person fined for attending a house party. And uh, so there are still people uh, pushing their luck with, with the COVID regulations and um, uh, the guards are on to them and they're, they're doing their best to kind of, um, you know, keep them in check. Yeah, and you did say there they're doing their best, but it's it's up to people to comply with the law and comply with what is being asked. Well, that's it. And, you know, people, uh, like, the, the reality is people were coming up on nearly a year now and people are, there's no doubt, they're, they're, they're tired of it. A lot of people, they haven't seen people in a long time. They're, they're sick of lockdowns. They're sick of restrictions. So maybe they're, they're becoming a bit complacent or, or pushing, pushing their luck. But um, it, it's incumbent on us all. You know, the figures nationally are coming down at the moment, but they seem to be uh, plateauing or not coming down maybe as quickly as, as uh, we'd hope. And you'll see from a story inside the paper that the numbers at St. Luke's are still very worrying. We're at capacity there. There's not a bed to be had. And um, they're dealing with, with constant um, COVID issues. Yeah, and that is on page two of the paper um, where you've said in there that four COVID patients in critical care on trolleys, as the trolley surge hits St. Luke's and hits the hospital. So that is worrying, to say the least. Yeah, uh, absolutely it is. And, you know, if you speak to staff out there, they're very hard-pressed. Um, we, we know that only half of them at the moment um, have been vaccinated. And uh, they're dealing with, with a constant surge. We figures from the, the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation um, this week, and we've been deterred, uh, most overcrowded in the country, according to that. You know, uh, 28 people on, on trolleys there yesterday and on Monday as well. Uh, figures down a bit today, but it's very busy. Um, and certainly the COVID cases have remained pretty high. They're up around the 30 mark uh, confirmed cases and they say four in critical care, which would be pretty much our critical care capacity um, in that hospital. And another worrying article in there as well is how eight elderly care home residents were not vaccinated due to confusion. Yeah, that seems to have been, I, I don't know, it was an, an oversight or not, but as we know, there's a, a vaccinator team going round to these uh, residential um, and care homes and vaccinating kind of um, at-risk people of the elderly people as well as the staff um, and it seems in this case it was brought up in the doll there last week by um, uh, Carla Kilkenny TD, um, Jennifer Milan O'Connor but just that um, this home had eight kind of separate units apart from the main home where residents were living, each had their own front doors and whatever way they were counted or the vaccines were allocated, uh, they were missed and um, they're still without vaccinations. I think uh, Minister of State Mary Butler tried to organise extra vaccines for them, but there weren't any. So they were, um, they're still waiting on, on a vaccination. And speaking of the vaccine and staying on page two, the vaccine rollout is moving forward, which is good news. Yeah, that's, that's been great to see. Um, I think towards the end of last week, um, Penny Park and... Um, then Mount Carmel on Monday of this week. But um, so, as we know, with the, the current vaccine that we have, uh, the Pfizer one being rolled out, it's a, it's a two-shot one, and there's I think 21 days or so in between each each dose. So the second, this will be the second visit to these places. So um, a, a big uh, immunity boost for us, um, and um, that's uh, great to see. And I'm sure it's a very welcome sight for the residents and for the staff and the homes to see the second dose coming in to kind of boost the first one, you know. 
Yeah, and I, I did hear in the media during the week as well that there is going to be serious rollout uh, going forward, um, especially uh, towards the middle of the year. So that is um, real good news. Yeah, well, I suppose they're waiting on, you know, um, the other vaccines to come in. Um, we know the, the controversy there was over the AstraZeneca one, and uh, I suppose the sooner the, that we can get our, our shipment of those, and the quicker um, they'll get through and move on to the next groups, maybe the over 70s and um, the other vulnerable groups. And then eventually, at some point, we'll all hopefully be, be getting one down the line. Well, we'll go away from that for a while and we'll go to page five. And this is a good news story where Neil Gunning um, has done an inspiring challenge over the month of January. He's raised over €15,000, which is going towards Relay for Life in Kilkenny. Now, this is a really good news story and ourselves at Community Radio Kilkenny City were following and supporting Neil all the way so a huge challenge to be taken on by Neil and the crew at NG Fitness Yeah um, I, I know Neil going back a while he's um, you know he's really um, what he's done particularly in the last in the last few months with his, his fitness challenges is very impressive and um this is obviously um, a cause close to his own heart, Relay for Life, and the Irish Cancer Society. He lost uh, his mother, and he's been he's been quite. Um, I suppose he's been very forthright, and he's been you know quite open about about how he's he's dealt with it and the, the challenges. And um, this is something that he's he's taken on. And um, I actually saw him. They've been getting into the river uh, right through right through January. There, I was I was walking um, there probably about two weeks, two or three weeks ago, when I saw them going down and getting in for the few minutes into the freezing river, um, a kind of a, their daily routine. So it's all part of this. Um, and he, I think he rode an incredible distance there, 100, 100 kilometres on the Sunday. Um, but it's all part, as you say, of this fundraiser, uh, Relay for Life, which we all know. And, you know, a lot of people would have taken part in it, the traditional walking around the track, um, at Scanlon Park or wherever in, in recent years and it's a big fundraiser it couldn't go ahead last year so it's a big loss to Relay and so Neil uh, has tried to kind of tried to kind of help them out with that I, I don't know whether they'll be able to go ahead with it this year you know it's all probably a bit up in the air so I'm sure they're very appreciative of the efforts he's made Yeah and you said there about him going down and getting into the river and this was a daily thing well they're continuing that believe it or not as uh, another fundraising campaign and it's called Freezebury and there's a, a group of them Neil included in the group and they're going to go into the river every day throughout the month of February and the funds raised for this one is going towards mental health charities Yeah, it's, it's fantastic and sure, look at it um, it's a huge kind of, uh, I'd say um, a lot of it's probably psychological but uh, I don't think you'd, you'd get me going into it uh, in the river uh, in the weather at the moment but um, fair play to them, you know, it's um, it's a, it's a great initiative and, and you know, brilliant to see them doing it. We'll go on to page 13 and families in need benefit from work of the Youth Conference of St. Vincent de Paul. Now, this is another good news story from the Kilkenny people this week. Um, yeah, so that's kind of students from uh, Loretto, I think, and um, one of a couple of different Christmas hampers that, that were, were done um, in, in recent weeks. Um, and we all know the great work that um, St. Vincent de Paul do um, and how helpful they are um, 
you know, to, to people in the community, particularly at a, at a tough time of year. So um, brilliant to see uh, a local school and the TY students there getting involved in it and helping out. And, you know, our our young people, uh, I suppose, surprise us and, and, and amaze us with some of the things they do to, to help out these kind of things. And um, they're full of, of resourcefulness and, and good ideas and, and willpower and enthusiasm. So great to see that. And finally, speaking of students, and this is uh, another good news story, where on page 22, five Kilkenny students earn an award from Trinity College. And this is all great news, but it's also going to tie in with the new um, planned university for the South East. Um, well, so, yeah, so that, that's, those are our awards and, and great to see exhibition awards for, um, I suppose, five um uh, students from from local schools who've gone on and you know they're in first year now and they have particular academic achievements you know and uh, they did well in their in their exams and have been honoured with this but as you mentioned there as well there's been I suppose a, a lot of kind of attention around the, the technical technological university of the southeast um, where there was a, a, a kind of a meeting there with stakeholders during the week and. We're kind of being drip-fed updates on on what's going to happen with that, and there's a bit of, I suppose, debate about where the headquarters of it might be. Uh, some people feel it should be in Waterford, some people feel in Carlow, and there was a suggestion then uh, arising from that meeting it might even be in Kilkenny, which seemed to exercise people a little bit um, on social media and that kind of thing. But um, I suppose, you know, the, the one thing we've learned from it... Um, from the whole debate around it is that it's, it's regional cooperation is what we need to actually achieve it and this kind of division and uh, sniping over you know should it be here or, or, or we got this and this county deserves that it, it's been it's been really unhelpful and uh, I think working together in the spirit of achieving something for the whole region will stand to us a lot better and uh, of course Kilkenny has its merits and of course Waterford has its merits as does anywhere else in the region um, but you know whenever the, the HQ location is decided be it here or there or somewhere else you know we should all get behind it and, and, and drive it forward now and not get dragged down into kind of arguments when, when this will benefit us all ultimately Yeah absolutely because if if it does it comes to the southeast. It's going to bring jobs and infrastructure and everything good to the southeast, and it's going to yeah, bring. That's right, and, 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 and talent and, and skills, and, and you know, every year, um, you know, we talk to, to people who get their leaving certs here, and all of them go. They go to Dublin, or they go to go, or they go somewhere else, and we lose. We're, we're losing this generation the whole time, and you know, the, the two ITs in Carlo and Waterford have been great in terms of keeping people locally to some extent and if, if we we will get this this university uh, upgrade which will it'll be great for everyone um, but it's taken a lot longer than it needed to other regions have theirs now and we're still here arguing over you know what should be here or what should be there when we should be driving it forward together well with that we leave it for another week uh, Sam and thank you very much for joining us again on Community Radio Kilkenny City to talk about Inside the Kilkenny People and uh, again thank you very much uh, to Sam Matthews editor of the Kilkenny People We are Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM 
One in four drivers and passengers killed in 2020 were not wearing seatbelts, with over 8,000 fixed charge notices issued by Gardaí for seatbelt offences between November 2019 and November 2020. To speak to us now about these stark findings is Brian Farrell and he is the communications manager with the Road Safety Authority. So welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you, Anne. So, Brian, like we said, these are stark findings from the this research that's been done. So do you want to give us a little bit of insight into uh, what you have found uh, from these statistics? Yeah, they are indeed, Anna. They're very stark and, and they're quite shocking when you think about it because I think for most uh, people out there, getting into the car and putting on a seatbelt is something we do automatically unconsciously without thinking so you know it's it's hard to believe that there's that many number out there that uh, are still featuring in our, in our collision statistics not wearing a, a seatbelt and as you say uh, just over a quarter uh, of, of drivers and passengers killed last year uh, when the Guardi conducted their forensic investigation uh, were found not to have been wearing their seatbelts now of course a seatbelt won't prevent a crash but it can certainly help reduce the severity of injuries that you could possibly uh, sustain in, in, in a crash and we know from international research that they are proven lifesavers in fact you know wearing a seatbelt in the front uh, seat so that's drivers and passengers uh, can reduce their risk of death and serious injury by uh, half and by a quarter uh, for those wearing them in the back seat so really our message uh, and, and, and it, I know it's, it's hard that we're still it's hard to reconcile the fact that we're still repeating this message but it really is important that you wear the seatbelt front and back on every trip no matter how short yeah and you just mentioned there that you know we're still having to hammer home this message that you think in 2021 that like you said that it would be just get into the car and automatically put your seatbelt on and there is people out there still that are not doing that yeah it, it is very hard and, and i and i suppose it is it is important to acknowledge that the vast majority of people out there you know wear their seatbelt um unfortunately i think we're looking at a stubborn uh, minority here who uh, just do not believe that they um uh, or, or, you know, they do, do not believe that the laws of physics apply to them because, you know, if you're not wearing a seatbelt and you're in a crash, I mean, it's, uh, you know, you've just absolutely no protection whatsoever. It's like jumping out of a plane without a parachute. You just, it's just something that's just unthinkable. Um, and, 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 and the other point we would always make as well that, you know, if someone in the car is not wearing their seatbelt, they could end up being, you know, a killer in the car almost because they will be thrown about the inside of the car, uh, hitting others potentially injuring them seriously or maybe even worse because of their selfish decision not to not to wear the seatbelt and is there a specific age or gender that um, has been pinpointed as say the culprits for not wearing them or is it just across the board I, I think there is definitely a younger um, cohort here that's a, that's problematic um, and uh, you know there may be a number of reasons why the seatbelt isn't being worn uh, maybe it's because and this will be based on let's say focus groups we've done in the past maybe it's because they feel that 
you know, when they're wearing the seatbelt, they're unable to take part or lean forward or take part in the conversation that's happening in the front of in the front of the car uh, between the driver and, and the passenger and the seatbelt. As it restricts them from doing that. Another factor, I think, as well, is is is, um, is impairment. And we have seen some, not all, but some cases where the non-seatbelt wearing may have been linked to alcohol or drug consumption, uh, and certainly among the younger cohorts. But what we're saying is that, look, you know, when a driver gets into a car, it should be, you know, the driver telling everyone to make sure that their seatbelts are on and not moving the car, not turning on the ignition unless, you know, he or she is satisfied that everyone in the car has put their seatbelt on. And, um, you know, our, our current advertising campaign is trying to encourage this and, uh, you know, reflecting the fact that, look, um, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen if you ask someone to put their seatbelt on and we have all these imaginary worst case scenarios that could happen? Of course, the worst worst case scenario is that someone, uh, you know, gets hurt, uh, injured or killed maybe in the event of a crash. So the point we're trying to make here is that nobody ever died asking someone to put on a seatbelt in the car. So that's what we're saying, uh, you know, uh, you know, for drivers to make sure that on, 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 on um, you know, on every trip, that everybody is belted up. Yeah, and it is your responsibility as a driver to not be afraid to ask your passengers or your friends or your family members to put on their seatbelt. And in fact, people have told us that they kind of expect the driver to do that and that, you know, they would put it on if the driver asks them to do so. So, yeah, that's that's what we're saying here. We're asking drivers to, to take on that uh, responsibility to a greater degree and, and make sure people travelling in their car, uh, you know, to make to make sure that they are wearing a seatbelt and uh, not to be worried about uh, something that they may say, you know, uh, you know, th- th- you know, to, to push back against it because, in fact, they won't. They'll put it on. Uh, people know that it's inherently the right thing to do, and that it's the safe thing to do. And we've grown up with it in, you know, in school, the importance of of wearing a seatbelt uh, all, all the time. And, and certainly, the younger cohort, the younger generation out there of, of of drivers will certainly remember their primary school lessons where the seatbelt sheriff, you know, mm. uh, in indoctrinated the need to to wear to wear your seatbelt uh you know e- even at a young age and, and 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 as you grow older yeah and that brings me on to what i was going to bring up with you next was the fact with young children from a very young age they're in their car seat then they go on to their booster seat and it's a continuous progression into sitting on the seat wearing the seatbelt but if the child doesn't see an adult doing it or is not enforced by the adult well then the child is not going to learn oh you're so right you know children will 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 imitate what we as adults do so if they see um you know grown-ups uh, or the parents or, or or people they would consider you know role models that they look up to not behaving uh, in, in a proper way i.e not wearing the seatbelt they're not exactly setting a great example 
for them to follow. So, yeah, it's really important that we practice what we preach and that we lead by example. And that means, you know, if we are getting into the car, that we make sure that we're we're, we're belted up on each and every occasion, uh, especially in the presence of children, and making sure as well that children are restrained too, because it is a driver's responsibility to make sure that uh, children under 17 years of age are appropriately restrained in the in the right uh, child car seat. And uh, you know, if they don't, it's it's you know, it's it's worth remembering that uh, you know if you if if you're detected by by the guardie, they're not wearing your own seatbelt, or you know, with children traveling in, in in your car in 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 in, an, in 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 and they're not in the appropriate child restraint, they face three uh, three penalty points and a sixty euro fine. And three penalty points, don't forget, you know, that's that's quarter of the way towards losing your license because if you pick up twelve points over a three-year period you face a disqualification uh, for six months so yeah it, it's worth reminding and, and uh, last year the guardian as you said gave out um, 8,770 fixed charge notices for seatbelt offences yeah and also a lot of shops where they sell car seats and uh, baby products they will actually show you and show parents how to fit in car seats properly and how to put on seat belts properly yeah. and this is all free of charge so there is really no excuse and we also have an online intervention we, we have a service called check it fits that goes around the country and, and does that in car parks of supermarkets and, and other locations that we attend and our experts check the child car seats free of charge now of course we can't do that in covid world but we have taken the whole thing online and you can find out more details of the online check it fits on the rsa's website rsa.ie and um, Commissioner Paula Hillman, and she's from the Roads Policing and Community Engagement with Angarda Shiakana. She gave out some um, stark statement as well in in this press release, where she said that where the Gardaí go out to road traffic accidents, that people can have horrendous and life-changing, say, disabilities or life-changing injuries due to not wearing a seatbelt. Now that is. That alone should hit home the message. Yeah, and and you know that you'd hear the same said from uh, fire brigade personnel, ambulance paramedics that arrive at the scene of a crash, and you know I would I don't want to get too graphic about this, but certainly you would hear them, you know, recount such stories of you know arriving at a scene, looking at the the crash scene, uh, and seeing maybe a number of people in a vehicle. Um, and uh, you know, thinking that, that that was it, that that's what they were dealing with, only to discover that because some individuals are, you know, were not wearing a seatbelt in the car, they'd actually been literally catapulted into a field because they were not wearing a seatbelt. And discovering that, you know, on 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 further investigation of the the crash scene, there was actually more people involved in it than initially thought because they were unrestrained, because they were thrown from the car uh, onto the road or maybe uh, into into a field. It, it is, and, and that is the stark and harsh reality of what happens in in, in a crash. It's uh, it it's, it must be very traumatic for 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 the emergency service to uh, you know arrive on on on, on such a scene of carnage and indeed it must be very harrowing for the families as well who um you know you know have to uh, you know come to terms with the loss of a loved one but don't forget as well as we said you know not not everyone survives a crash and um you know people not wearing a seatbelt can, can can survive and, and they can survive though with with, with very serious injuries Kilkenny's only community radio station.
we're local like you. Yes, and that was Brian Farrell there and Brian was the communications manager with the Road Safety Authority and we spoke earlier on today uh, about the the reality of how one in four people killed in 2020 were not wearing seatbelts. And that is about all I have uh, for the time being on the show today on Kilkenny Today. Uh, thank you very much to my colleague Morris O'Connor who spoke to Michelle Murphy uh, from Social Justice Ireland and that was in relation to uh, Poverty Premium and then as well to uh, my uh, also as well there to Sam Matthews the editor of the Kilkenny People newspaper where we spoke about our regular on a regular slot of the Kilkenny People and myself and Sam spoke earlier on today and uh, for all information on the Kilkenny people log on to www.kilkennypeople.ie and also as well thank you to Brian Farrell there from the Road Safety Authority that is all I have time for on the show today and stay tuned for more great programmes coming up after me We are Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM 